Welcome to Wild Animals, crazy stories about animals told by the people who study them. I'm your host, Roland Case. Today on Wild Animals, we've got Leroy, the fisher who learned no means no the hard way. Welcome to Wild Animals. Very excited today to have Dr. Scott LaPointe, a research scientist from Black Rock Forest, here to talk about fishers. Welcome to the show, Scott. Hey, thanks, Rowan. So, um, fishers, what are they? Um, we know they don't eat fish, but uh, why, why are they called fishers? What, what, what kind of creature are they? Are we talking about today? Yeah, I, I don't know why they're called fishers. There's a lot of uh, rumblings about why um, it's an old Dutch name or something from the European polecats. I, I don't really know. Um, but what they are is they're a medium-sized carnivore, a uh, big cousin of a pet ferret or something like that. Um, they're, uh, they prey on small mammals, you know, rabbits and things like this. They're awesome tree climbers. Um, in fact, some of that ability has allowed them to specialize in hunting porcupines. Okay. So they're the only species in North America that will routinely prey on porcupines. It makes them pretty special. Um, but they've also got this cool uh, conservation history across the North America. They have always been a fur bearer, um, protected at various uh, times, but a very uh, popular fur bear back in the day. So fur bear being an animal that's caught for, for by fur trappers to make hats or coats or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, but they're also a forest dependent species, so they need a good uh, forest structure. Um, that, that's their habitat. So when uh, the colonists had first come here, they would have found them uh, mostly through the northern forest, boreal forest across North America. But over time, you know, they lost their habitat. They were targeted for, as a fur bear. Um, even to some degree persecuted, but, you know, conservation sort of came in, uh, have this cool story, protections here and there. And so some of their population has rebounded really, really well. Um, we're actually in an area where their population is doing pretty well. Um, so all of the sort of northeast areas for fishers are doing pretty well, but that's not the case really out west, and that's a whole other podcast. Okay. Right, okay. So, so fishers <laughs> are basically a giant weasel. A very large member of the weasel family, North America, forest living, and it sounds like they kind of had a trajectory like a lot of wildlife species where a hundred years ago or so they were really doing poorly and, and now with some proper management and protection they're starting to make a comeback. Yeah, exactly. Which is pretty cool. In some in some areas. In some areas. And right. in other areas not. So that makes yeah. it interesting to figure out why, why? And where and all that kind of stuff. So exactly. so let's talk about your study. What where were you studying fishers and what were you sort of trying to learn about them? Um, I think, what, back in 2009 or so, um, I came and worked for you doing fishers up near Albany, New York. Um, basically, before then, you and uh, other grad students had seen, you know, evidence of them. You had collared some, you know, kind of roaming around these suburban areas yeah. where we should not have found fishers. Right, right. So this is a fun story because I participated in some of this work. Um, Scott was out there doing, doing most of the legwork. Um, I got to, to join in when I could, and, and yeah, so it start, sort of started for me when we got a camera trap picture of a fisher in Albany. It's like, this is ridiculous because, <laughs> you know, the books that I'd read had called Fisher this old growth specialist. It was only found in the wilderness areas, and here we are in this suburban Albany pine bush, sort of scrappy 
pine forest and there was a picture of a fisher and i was just flabbergasted that that could even be there yeah i mean that's awesome that it's happening and for me i mean i was reading the same books but for me before i came back to new york and studied this i was in northern california where their populations were going down, you know, they they were being found, they're, they're dying from odenticide poisoning. Right, so you were studying was a really, in California where they were struggling in big natural wilderness areas. Yeah, exactly. I mean, more old growth per hectare there than elsewhere. I mean, yeah. it was perfect fisher habitat, and their population was going down. And so, now in suburban Albany, all of a sudden, there's fishers. Yeah, so you, then the looks around the office when I said I was moving back to New York to study <laughs> suburban fishers was like, ah, good luck, Scott. Good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> well, cool. So, so, um, so you set up this study to, to I guess, to, to learn what they were doing in suburbia, right? Yeah, I think, you know, for me, um, what was most, in, which was coolest or most important for me was this notion of them moving into an area where they, sh they should still need forest, and we found that they still did need forest. But for me, it was really cool to ask, you know, just looking at that landscape, there is no, like, single forest patch that should have supported a fissure, right? They were too so small. They were all too small based on what we knew in home range estimates and things like this. So it got really cool to ask, how do they move through this landscape? This is a fragmented place. There are rarely this linear corridor, which we would have expected to find elsewhere. So, yeah, to me, it was really about the movements, um, moving over roads, under roads, whatever. Um, just how do right. they survive in this right. suburban area? Well, and that's a cool question because, you know, there's lots of other animals in there as well. And so uh, that are probably dealing with some of the same struggles. So we're talking about Leroy today. Um, <laughs> Leroy was one of the fishers you caught. Um, yeah. And... Uh, when was the first time you met you met Leroy? How how'd you trap him and Yeah, you, um I think Leroy, yeah, he was one of the first that we caught. Um this is probably the what end of two thousand nine. No, maybe the beginning of two thousand nine, February two thousand nine. Um yeah, he was a big old male. Um he was a, a cool guy and of course a lot of excitement because you know, were putting the first GPS collars on a fisher ever right so you know cool exciting super stressful and now i've get this old male who you know i don't know there's something about the old animals that really makes it even more stressful i'm like you know all respect sir but can i put this collar on <laughs> right. and um you know first leroy um we caught him in a big live trap so you, you know, got the, big cage traps yeah and um was this one with a screamer we i know we, we put think, out some of these i can't these, remember these, like um acoustic lures these little machines that would make a noise of a dying rabbit like every yeah. 30 seconds or something like that I, I think we tried those in the the second year okay. or something like that but so so tell us tell us about like what does it take to trap a fisher um fishers aren't so hard to catch they're they're pretty bold enough i think or kind of a yeah let's see what happens kind of animal so they're they're known to be fairly easy to catch but yeah. that doesn't mean that there's not a lot of effort involved in doing so yeah. so yeah, we got these big cages out there. You know, it doesn't harm them. They go in. You've probably seen them, you know, they have a heart kind of style. And they're baited and lured, and they're out there in the winter. And, you know, hopefully we put them in the right spots and, you know, lucky enough for a fisher to walk in. But, you know, I check those every morning. And on, uh, for Leroy, you know, it's just kind of one of these things where uh, 
Leroy's there. We caught him. It was I remember it was super cold. You know, so we had issues with things freezing, including my fingers and things. I think you were there for yeah, Leroy. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, you know, got him. We got this. We built this custom fabric tube and uh, a metal cone kind of right, thing, right. and he ran in there because I guess weasels like to run in the small tubes. Right. Yep. And he runs in there. You kind of grab him and give him a sedation and wait a couple minutes and. Off we go. Right. So pretty straightforward. Tranquilize them. They're knocked out for 20 minutes or so. Put the collar on. Take blood sample measurements, whatever, and then let them wake up and let them go. So yeah. So these these tracking collars. You're saying it's the first ever GPS on Fisher, and this was right around when the first time the GPS kind of got to be small enough and good enough um, to to put on these animals. And I remember the other thing we did was we put them on pretty high resolution, right? So uh, yeah. some of them were initially like every 15 minutes, and some of these other ones were were actually these accelerometer-informed collars. Tell, tell us how these, uh, these accelerometer-informed collars work. Yeah, um, I think Leroy was probably every 15 minutes, which yeah. was already really high resolution. So we were really, like, the, the data we got from Leroy was amazing. Right. Um, and then we apparently weren't satisfied with that. Well, I mean, because, <laughs> well, because Leroy would spend hours in a hole in the ground. Yeah. And you just burn your battery life, because it's GPS is turning on, it's trying to get a fix, and of course it can't, because it's underground. And then um, it just seemed very, very wasteful. And these units also had this accelerometer on there, which is measuring um, the activity of the animal. So we kind of had this idea of like, can we connect the accelerometer and the GPS so that we only get the fixes when the animal's running around? And we ran, we, I think we jacked that up to like every two minutes or something yeah, like that. Yeah. And that was just amazing to see exactly yeah. where these animals were going. Yeah, I, I, I remember when you guys were finding fishers in suburbia and the questions of how they were moving through the landscape was obvious. It was an obvious question to ask. But I remember us talking and thinking like, yeah, we should totally understand this. We should figure this out. But basically it was, at the time, VHF. And you'd need right. an army to get the resolution get the of data, knowing yeah. where exactly they cross the road. So, yeah, when, like, Leroy's round was, like, the first round, him and a couple other animals got those collars every 15 minutes. And then it was cool. It was awesome data. We learned a lot from Leroy. I, but, I, but those accelerometer-informed things just kind of blew. The, yeah, it was, like, every two minutes, every 100 meters, basically, yeah. them moving around. It right. was, so now you're not guessing awesome. where the animals are going, right? Yeah. You're, not, you're not getting, like, a point two hours apart and figuring out, well, you know, maybe they went a straight line or whatever else. And I remember the first time this really drove home for me with Leroy was – seeing where he was crossing the road. So he's, he's in the Albany Pine Bush, this little nature preserve that's very fragmented. So it's a bunch of little chunks of nature with roads through it. Mm -hmm. And there was this one place where he crossed the road multiple times in the same place. And we yeah. were just like, why is, what, what's so special about this place? Remember, what was the road that, that he Oh, um, it was New Carner Road, okay. a pretty busy two-lane road, one, you know, especially in certain yeah, times of the one, day. Right. Yeah, yeah. One. And I remember uh, the first, you know, bit of data we got from Leroy, we weren't really sure yet where he was crossing. Like, we, we, we had an expectation of where he was going because there was a, a, a railroad track that oh, was right. going under New Carner, not far from there. Yeah. So we're like, oh, this would be a great place for them to cross. Right. But with this every 15-minute data, all of a sudden, Leroy seems to be crossing the road in a really bad spot. Right. <laughs> right. And... Uh, yeah, no, he wasn't going. Well, so do you remember what we found when we went there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, basically, we, we go out there, and we got the data, and we're looking at the map, and 
became pretty clear pretty fast that Leroy wasn't going over the road. He was going under it. So we found this kind of decrepit old culvert right. that probably had been forgotten by transportation folks for years. Like, like half filled with sand. It was yeah. like a drainage culvert, but it was like half filled. Bad. And this is in February. So it was full of ice and snow. Right. And I mean, but so we, what, we found that. We were pretty convinced that's where he was probably going. Go back to the museum, grab a camera trap. Right. Put the camera trap out, and lo and behold, here comes Leroy here popping in and out yeah. of there, along with pretty much whatever would fit in there. Yeah, like, yeah. I'll, I'll put the video up on the on the show notes for, yeah. for for listeners to check out Leroy. You can see him with his collar, going in and out, happy yeah. as can be. And I just remember, I used to have pet ferrets, and we would like <laughs> throw a dryer tube on the ground, and they would, they just loved it. It was like like paradise for them. These little yeah. tubes and tunnels, and weasels just like tubes, and these these culverts were like the way. That ferret, that, that fishers, sorry, could colonize suburbia without getting hit by cars. Yeah, I mean, Leroy was the first to really point it out glaringly for right. us, right? And, and the, the kind of crazy part is, is I don't recall, and someone can correct me, but I don't recall a lot of other literature really describing that. Right. Um, I mean, even in the other, like, kind of road ecology stuff, I mean, fishers probably pop up. I think we found them during my master's thesis going through tunnels, but yeah. not to, to the extent that we saw well, them. Well, and, the, and the, the sort of, by being able to go through small tunnels, there's a lot more options for them because yeah. those are everywhere. They, you know, they, they, anywhere, it's, it's as rainy as it is in Albany, they need to have these drainage tunnels. And so they're not made for wildlife. And, you know, a coyote would have a hard time fitting through some of these. It yeah, no way. Sure. But the weasels, you know, the, the fish, yeah. they, they do it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Do you, do you remember the one, this other one that, that, that uh, it was a different fisher, I think it was Phineas, Phineas the fisher, that was um, using the, the clover leaves of forests. Oh, yeah. Those of the where, highway. Where central, yeah, it's like, so it's like the on-ramp, where you, you, know, you go on the on-ramp to get on I-87 between Central Avenue, like a huge intersection, giant highway, yeah. giant, giant road, the mall's right there, and there's this little bit of forest in the middle. And I remember we downloaded the data from Phineas. Yeah. And so you, and you sort of get it for the first time. And you're like, all right, this is where he was yesterday. <laughs> yeah. What's going on? And there was yeah. snow on the ground. And so we went there and we could like um, actually see the footprints of where he was. And he was, there was a culvert underneath the on-ramp and there was a culvert in the next place and the culvert in the next place. And I couldn't fit through the culverts. And I had these <laughs> big snowshoes on because there was so much snow. So I almost got hit by a car myself <laughs> running back and forth. The dangers uh, of suburban field work, right? Yeah, but I mean, like, I still do winter field work, and this is part of the reason why. I mean, you, you go out there, you can kind of backtrack your animal, you right. see all these cool things. Because wasn't Phineas, didn't you find him in there, like, rummaging around to the cattails or something, right? Yes. It was it was muskrats or something he was in there after, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. I can't muskrats. remember. And, well, and then over, and then he, he actually used the culvert to go under I-87 yeah. to a little scrap of woods that had tons of sumac, yeah. And there were rabbit tracks in the snow everywhere. I'm like, well, this is why yeah, he's here. Sure. He's hunting rabbits. It's the kind of thing you would expect to see, like a red-tailed hawk during the daytime, you know, hunting on the roadside. Yeah. Yeah. Fishers are there at night if there's a culvert, and yeah. they're they're hitting it. And and um, uh, certainly rabbits beware because fishers are 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 going to be pretty good rabbit hunters. Yeah, and I mean that's something that we've talked about in the past. Is uh, a lot of these uh, prey species. Have never haven't dealt with fishers in two hundred years, right? Even more, so, three, four hundred. You know, years, right? it's it's like you know the everyone knows how uh, abundant gray squirrels are in suburbia, right. and all of a sudden you've got an animal 
who can come in and pick you off of that apple tree like it's grocery shopping. The fisher, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. And, and so that's a whole other, you know, we, we've, we always talked about how they move to the landscape, but there's a whole other ton, there's a ton of other things to be explored. Do you think they're that. having a, a, an effect on the, on, the eco, on, the, on the suburban ecosystems in there? They, It'd be uh, hard to imagine that they don't. I mean... So, so tell us, what, what did you find them eating when you were, you, you, were, you were tracking them in the snow? I remember you were picking up scats and picking the scats apart and... And just finding kills sometimes in the snow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, there's plenty to learn from snow tracking. Yep, scats. We, we had a few of our animals. Actually, quite a few of our animals got hit by cars. So we also had some right. stomach contact. So even though they were like going to the roads under culverts when they could, they still were sometimes not yeah. and, hit by cars. And I think, and this is a different story for a different day, but I think it was an age thing. You figured out where your culverts were and over time, and all the young animals still were having to figure out. Oh, I see. So, but, um, yeah, I basically like, you know, Leroy and all these suburban fishers kind of reshaped everything I thought I knew about fishers, but in the end, it's almost as though they're doing really cool things, but they're still fishers. And that was kind of so what, so what, awesome. What, what are they eating? Like what's the, exactly. The so, diet? you know, uh, normal fisher diet, small mammals, rabbits, things like that. Right. And, um, Suburban fishers, uh, small mammals, rabbits, a lot of gray squirrels. And it's kind of what you would expect. Here's an animal, and here's a bunch of small mammals. Um, a lot of them that aren't ready for the, your pred- you potential me, predator. Tell me about the fish your bed and breakfast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, classic. Um, yeah, the bed and breakfast. So we've got nocturnal fishers, something we learned from the accelerometers. They almost never do anything during the day. In suburbia. Yeah, in suburbia, um, which we still think is pretty novel as far as other fishers elsewhere. Um, but uh, so you've got a, a nocturnal predator with super abundant diurnal uh, gray squirrels. Right. So um, nocturnal predators, you know, bombing around suburbia, gets a whiff of something, climbs that tree. It's winter. Lo and behold, there's probably a nice cuddled up sleeping gray squirrel up there. In one of those big leaf nests. Yeah, yeah, leaf yeah, midden nest or whatever they are. Um, they're up there and if, <laughs> there was quite a few times that during the day, we, you know, so we'd go out and download data and things like this during the day, backtrack whenever we could, snow tracking, all this fun stuff. And uh, part of that is refining your animals to download the data and if you can do that, why not go in and actually see them and yeah. see what they're doing? I mean, sure you can get the data, but looking up in this tree on a nice sunny day and seeing Ricky T look down at you with his collar on from a squirrel nest, right. you start to put it all together. <laughs> and this this happened quite often. So it was so a, the, for so sure. the squirrel nest with a bed and breakfast. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a suburban, there's a B&B out there grab for a, fishers. Grab a squirrel and then hang out there and sleep, sleep yeah, during the day. Yeah, sleep the day. Yeah, sure, why not? Yeah. No one else is going there. Do you remember, uh, I remember we would get some... Um, uh, some fisher carcasses from trappers. So they're still fur trapped, it's still mm-hmm. legal, and um, there seemed to be plenty abundant in, in the area. And so we were in touch with some fur trappers and they would they would give us the um, carcasses after they'd skinned it out and we'd mm-hmm. put them in the museum, at the New York State Museum, and uh, always curious to cut open the stomach and see yeah. like what's in there. I don't know if you were there this one day, but we cut open the stomach and there was this giant eyeball staring at me. <laughs> really? I wasn't for that. It was a turkey. Oh, eyeball. okay. 
And it was just like he had just swallowed it whole. He hadn't chewed it at all. It was just the weirdest oh, that's thing. That's bizarre. Because, <laughs> you know, it's kind of gross anyway, right? You're cutting, yeah. you're, you're cutting up this dead animal and you've got gloves on and you're, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's a little bloody and whatever. And then there's this, yeah. That yeah, was, somebody that, looking right. at you. Right, right. So huh. I, I, I wonder how they were hunting the turkeys if they were getting them up in the trees when they're sleeping at night. It's bad. I don't know. I Again, no, no shortage of turkeys in suburban all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I don't. Home. Yeah, I don't know. I... It's hard to say. I think they'd be as easy to grab on the ground as in the trees. I don't know. And I suppose so, they're sleeping all night up there, right? The turkeys are, yeah. 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 So, so you're out doing field work um, sometimes during the day, sometimes during the night, sometimes out in the nature preserves, but sometimes right in neighborhoods and, <laughs> yeah. and stuff like that, right? What Did you get like strange looks from people? Did you get the cops called on you? Oh, yeah. Out there with an um, antenna, like pointing your antenna at people's houses and stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, anyone who's done like suburban field work probably can relate. But um, yeah, I mean, you're driving around, you know, with antennas, you're stopping and getting out, you know, the green truck. No one, everyone's suspicious of a plain drab green yeah, truck yeah. in the neighborhood. But yeah, you got your antennas. Um, uh, probably a lot of trespassing, you know, you know, whatever. But yeah, you're you're going through somebody's backyard tracking. You might have had like a dead animal in your backpack too. You smell like a skunk. <laughs> um, all this stuff, and it all happens. And um, yeah, I had the police called a few times, um, but it was okay because once in a while, you know, once you sort of got to know them, yeah. they knew who you were, and then almost by formality, they would have to. Well, what was check. the incident? You had some incident with the uh, Secret Service, right? Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, that was a that was a special case of the <laughs> cops being called on you. So I, I can't remember what year it was. Uh, probably 2011 or so. I don't know. It was winter, and we had you know suburbia, Albany, the capital of New York. It's got a big airport. Um, and also, you know, so that's not abnormal. I'm also probably like a lot of us who, when you're out in the forest and you find trash that's not supposed to be in the forest, you tend to pick it up. I don't know. I do that. Okay. Um, so, um, and you find a lot of random stuff in suburban places. So anyways, uh, it's February. I go check a trap. I've got a fisher. It's really cool because it's a female in there. There's all these male footprints all over the place. Oh, cool. And we had just captured Phineas like two days before then, in the okay. same area. Right. So I'm already a little jazzed, like, whoa, check it out. There's a new female in here. All right, got to work her up. Going back out to the truck to get everything prepared. It's been a snowstorm, but it's also really quiet. And I'm right next to the airport. I'm like, this is weird, but, you know, you're jazzed up. Right, and you right. don't really notice. Um, and then I see uh, the local police car comes by. I didn't think very much of it. I'm in my truck. I'm getting drugs out, setting everything up so that when I go and sedate her, I come back to the truck, everything goes smoothly. Right. One-man show kind of thing. Well, I'm in the truck, and then um, the, the the local police car comes up. And I kind of expected this. With, you know, Basically, what the hell are you doing out here in a snowstorm? No one should be out here. Yeah. And uh, they come, and I, I get out, and then I'm talking to them. And then I notice that it's rather quiet, but I can hear a helicopter. It seems low, but I'm next to the airport. Who cares? Uh, so two, two gentlemen come out, two officers, um, et cetera. Hey, how you doing? I explain to them and they say, well, um, the reason we're over here is, do you see that helicopter over there? And I said, yeah, sure. And he goes, well, I'll take a look. And I take a close look at the helicopter and there's a soldier of some kind with a rifle 
hanging out the side of it. <laughs> and I thought, that doesn't look normal. You don't see that, uh, you don't see that every day there. And he said, well, there's, the reason we're out is no one's supposed to be in this area because the president, Obama at the time, uh, is flying into Albany on whatever he flies on um, to do a special talk in somewhere. I was like, so, oh. so you're, you're sneaking around the airport in the yeah. woods with gear and antennas, antennas and, and all stuff. kinds of crap. Yeah, and yeah. So the cops think, oh, this is suspicious. Why is he here on a snowstorm? Yeah, yeah. So there's no good reason for a normal person to be there. Yeah. Right. So, um, so you know, so you know, basically they're being told what they have to do. I have to get out of the truck. You know, fine. You know, etc. I get out of the truck, and is there anything? You know, they ask all the routine questions. Is there anything we should know about in the truck? Da da da. I'm like, no. I'm like. I do have some controlled substances in there, but I've got all the permits for those, you know, uh, it's, it's things like this. And so he has me stand next to the truck, routine things, and it's an older cop and, and a, a younger police officer. And uh, the the way it works is the, the uh, uh, younger guy sort of is keeping track of me. I have to face the truck. I don't have my hands up or anything like that, but I have to face the truck while the older officer is, you know, just doing his job, looking through the cop. All of a sudden... The younger officer starts yelling, gun, gun. And I'm, I freeze because I'm like, where? You know, I don't know what's going on. He pushes me up against the truck, hands up, pushes me up against the truck, which is really annoying because the truck's covered in road salt. So I'm now covered in road salt. Yeah. The older officer is saying, where, where? And, you know, and he's like, right there in the, in the door of the truck. In the door of the truck. There's a gun in the door of the truck. Why didn't you tell me about this? I'm like, I have no idea what they're talking about at this point. And of course, what would you say if two officers throw you up against a truck and, yeah. and there's a helicopter with a rifle <laughs> yeah. pointing at you? And uh, you still have a fisher in a trap. I still have a fisher in the trap. You know, all of this is going through my head, you know? And uh, so, you know, oh, okay, you stay there, sir, stay there, sir. And I stay there. And, and then eventually, in a much calmer, quieter voice, the older officer says, so, Mr. LaPointe, are you sure you've got no guns? Anything I should know about in here? No, no, sir. Nope, nope. Pretty, nope. Pretty sure. And then he taps me on the shoulder and he hands me this thing and he goes, well, what about this? And I, you know, I'm terrified and I look and it's this stupid plastic cap gun broken in half that I had picked up at a random point oh, it's just to throw out. In the woods. But the young officer apparently <laughs> could only see the handle. Ah, uh, yeah. So I think it was a lesson for me. Um, do pay attention to what you pick yeah. up and probably a lesson to that younger officer to chill out. So, yeah, so I did, uh, yeah, I cleaned myself up and I was told to leave. And I, I, I said, yeah, but I've got, yeah, I tried to explain, but I left and uh, waited until they left and came back. Came back <laughs> so the fish yeah. got, got worked up. Yep, yep, yep. And she, uh, Zizu. That's easy to fish. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's cool, cool data. All kinds of names. So I, I remember another run in with a, a fisher and a cop. Um, that, that you weren't involved with. This was this was Roger the Fisher, yeah. who, who's named after our colleague Roger Powell, who wrote the book on fishers. And we're like, all right, we gotta we gotta name the fisher after Roger. And this this was one we caught I think, before we had the GPS collars, and so yeah. it got a little VHF collar, and we tracked it, and it was sort of up in a state park, and we got some data, and then the and then the battery died, and so we didn't have any more data. And then uh, I don't know a year later, I get this phone call. And so these callers have my name and phone number on mm -hmm. And they're like, yeah, 
your your Fisher was on Fox News last night. <laughs> I'm like, what? What's going on? And like now he's at the state pathologist lab, oh, and they're yeah. testing him for rabies, so he's dead. Yeah. And so I, I watched the Fox News report, and what had happened was Roger the Fisher had gotten rabies. <laughs> this yeah. rabid Fisher is running through the streets of Schenectady, and some poor lady is out taking her trash out, and he bites her on the ankle, and she has to like grab a shovel or something and like bang him on the head to get him off, and then he like attacks someone's dog, and so someone calls the cops, and then he goes running into these woods, and the, um, the the cops show up and they go track him down, and they're able to shoot him with their pistol. Wow! And there's this picture on Fox News of this cop in these like purple rubber gloves. <laughs> Holding this Fisher that's, you know, bleeding Poor Roger. baby's blood with a radio collar with my name on it right there. I was like, oh, my God. And so it turned out it was um, it was a strain of raccoon rabies. Uh, the Fishers don't normally urate it. I think that's right. like the second record of a rabid Fisher in New York State or something. And um, it was, uh, it, you know, obviously gotten into a contact with a rabid, fish, a rabid raccoon, and, and that didn't work out. Um but that was a that that was another time where I was like the Fishers brought me in close contact with. Yeah, yeah. Goblin. But they, I was afraid the lady was going to be mad at me for some reason. Oh well, yeah, it's your Fisher. It's my Fisher, right? <laughs> but actually, she she I watched the the interview with her later on, on the news, and she obviously didn't like getting put on the foot, but she kind of yeah. liked being on the news. So she was like, <laughs> she just liked the attention. She was pretty excited to have the news crew in her living room. Oh tell the yeah, whole story. yeah, yeah. So I was like, oh, All right, no. good, good. She, she's not gonna. Like try to press charges other than my Fisher, um, but the other I remember. Um, so so Roger Powell, the Fisher biologist, mm -hmm. has a wife named Conti, mm -hmm. who is a, a Fisher artist and, mm -hmm. and, and natural artist in general. So we caught a female in those olden days and named yeah. her Conti. Yeah, and you remember? I think you found her again later, right? Yeah, this Conti is is amazing. I think was it. Uh... Yeah, you guys caught her. I don't remember what year, about but two thousand two or something. Yeah, and and when you had her, you assessed her as as being about two or three years old. She's a young adult. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, I caught her again in like almost ten years later. So wow. it was like maybe eight years or you know, a long time later. Right. And the crazy part is, I caught her like 100 meters from where you guys did. Right. I had no idea that you even ran your traps there. You gave her a collar too, right? I did not because when I worked her, when I, I sedated her and I went to work her up, but she was in such rough condition oh, was she? that I, yeah, I didn't, didn't want to give her I didn't want to give her extra weight. I remember, because <clears throat> what was interesting about, about Conti and, and when we tracked her before and some of these other female fishers was the females are smaller than males, right? Mm -hmm. What are they, like four or five pounds? Yeah, um, yeah. And... They need smaller home ranges. Mm -hmm. And so often these little forest fragments were small enough for the females. Yeah. And so I, I think about Conti having a small home range. How, how big were their ranges? Like a square kilometer or something like that? Maybe two at yeah. most. And they could often survive without crossing the roads. Right? They yeah. had a big enough territory where they didn't have to cross roads. They didn't have to take that risk. Yeah. And so you also don't have fur trapping in right. suburbia. And so all of a sudden, like, it, you can understand why a fisher could live to be 12 years. Yeah. They don't have to cross roads. They're not getting fur trapped. There's tons Plenty of squirrels. Of and they can they can hang out and just have you know puppies that have litters every year and, and, yeah. and what, whatever. Yeah, I, I think it, it, feel, it felt like, and I don't have hard numbers on this, but it felt like there was kind of like two, kind, two kinds of animals in the population. There were the older individuals who had been there for a long time. I think even Leroy or, and Bernard, they were both old big males yeah. 
Uh, Bernard was our biggest one, right? Yeah, he was six something kilos. Six What's kilos, that? So like 12, 14, 15, 15 pounds. pounds. Yeah. yeah, he was a big. I remember fisher. that's the picture. I have a photograph of him. I'll put on the on the on the show notes, and he looks like a beast. Yeah, is he the one that was in the Times? Or he was in the local paper or yeah. something. And yeah. there's like this picture of him, and he just looks like. And the perspective, I know the angle <laughs> I have, it makes it even look even, yeah, even yeah. bigger. But he was the biggest fisher. Yeah, I remember Bernard. Yeah, Bernard, big Bernard. Yeah, he was awesome. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's, yeah, I don't know. More work to be done in survival right. and population stuff. Right. But so, so the males that had to have bigger home ranges because yeah. they're, they're bigger animals and they're, um, uh, and so that's what we found with Leroy, right? That, that he was, he needed to cross the road. The so one, right. one fragment on, on the, in the pine bush wasn't big enough. So right. he had to cross the road. He found a good place in mm-hmm. this case to do it. But I remember like, like Phineas, the one that was using the clover leaf, mm-hmm. he later got hit by a car up by the airport because... He, you know, whatever his territory wasn't big enough, and he had to find some other, you know, get into yeah. some other area. Um, so, but the other thing, the male, I mean, the males are having a bigger territory in part to find the females, right? They, they, yeah, I mean, so they're overlapping with multiple females. Yeah, yeah. And um, and because I mean, maybe, maybe maybe we can sort of come to yeah. the last time. Yeah. Like, the, you know, why is this podcast called the Fisher who learned no means no the hard way? Right. The, the yeah. last time you we met Leroy. Yeah, Leroy was kind of like bittersweet, right? It was like he, he seemed so special. He was the first one. His data's been used in so many different things. And, and he's just, he's like a fundamental component of like my career. It's right. in a weird way, that one animal. <laughs> right. um, but yeah, so, you know, we had him running around. He was giving us all these cool data. But, you know, like you mentioned, the, the collar's batteries only last so long. So we captured him in February 2010. And then... You know, uh, like you also said, that has your name and phone number on all the callers. So if anyone should find him, him or anything later, yeah. give us a call. So like what, May 2010, no, May 2011. So like a year and a half later or whatever from the time we caught him, uh, we got an email or a phone call or something from someone found Leroy. And unfortunately, Leroy's dead, you know, right. but somebody's dog sniffed and found him or whatever. And they called, and we went right out, and you know, yep, shoot, that's Leroy, and uh, right. so it's bummer, car- right? Yeah, like bummer, like but bummer. but you know, fishers don't last forever, and yeah, yeah. we actually get to look at him again. Yeah, exactly. It's like bummer in a weird personal level, but like really exciting for science. You're like, whoa, it's really tough to do mortality, and not that we did you know mortality justice per se, but just getting that one animal, like what happened here? This is really cool, especially after we've already discussed like what it's like to be in suburbia you could be an old animal right you know, it's not right. so bad but leroy was is is a little bit of a special maybe timely story um where you know so we go out we find leroy he's all intact we don't really know what happened pretty, some kind of some kind of skirmish point, right? yeah pretty dry but still like the leaves and stuff had been moved around and stuff maybe it was the dog i don't know but leroy had been there for i don't know maybe a month or so pretty dry Bring him back to the museum. One of the benefits of working in a museum, right. can immediately have a a, a a specimen. Right. You know, clean him up. You know, prep, prep him as a skeleton. But you know, in, in this whole process, you know, his body, the way we found him, we, we couldn't really do anything with. Couldn't but, tell what the cause of death was. Yeah, yeah. Until we cleaned it up. And and I should mention it. He's quite a ways away from the road too. So it's not like this is a roadkill fisher right. that got like Which tossed off to the side. We would find that more often. So yeah, here's yeah. This, It's weird. A fisher. There's a fisher in the middle of a forest. Yeah. What happened? Um, so you clean up the skull and what'd you find? Well, we found puncture holes in the skull. It looks like a bite mark. Yeah. And of course, 
we go in, in the museum immediately. First thing right. we do, run into the collection, start going through all the cane, all the carnivores right. that could have done this. Right. And we basically went down a line, and the one so, that right, so we're, we're in the we're in the collection of the New York State Museum. We have this fresh yeah. case. Here is a brand new skull. It's brand new, clean. It's got holes. Holy cow! Like we're right on the case, and we yeah. go in there. We just start like opening drawers. Yeah. Like, could it be a coyote? No, no too, too big, big for a coyote. Yeah. You know, so, okay, so something smaller than a coyote. Could it be a bobcat? No, yeah. too big for a bobcat. So we kept going down the line, and yeah, and the the best match was a female fisher. Right. So, <laughs> what's going on there? <laughs> right. So killed by a female fisher, yeah. and but also the timing, right? So You're right. April, you probably died in April. Yeah. What's like April is not normal breeding season for right. animals. Tell us about the breeding season of fisher and why this actually fits. Right. So. Um, Fishers are, are you know, one of the many things that's awesome about them is this whole their whole mating system, the implantation, you know, the mechanisms, how all this works. But to, simply, basically, uh, females give birth around March, right? And so, and as soon as they give birth, they can re reproduce again. Right. Males seem to know this. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you've got a female, she's in her tree with her babies, you know, and, and she's very protective of them, obviously. She's yeah. got very special features of that denning tree that she likes that so basically keep males out. Okay. So she's got babies in there. Right. So, so, okay, so the females have babies in a den, in a hole in the tree, like yeah. a woodpecker hole or something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, perfect. And it's got to be the right size hole so that the smaller females can get in and the bigger males can't come in and harass the kids. Exactly. And now... Fishers are, are, are thought to, to participate in infanticide. So if a male should come and find these kits, it seems, at least, you know, what we've heard is that the male will kill those kits. Yeah, and it true. sounds terrible, but, and I don't understand it. I don't know how well anyone well, really understands it. Well, how often it happens, but it definitely happens. It's a risk at some, time, at right. some point. So right. Now, so the, but the male's hot for the female because she's, yeah. she's receptive, yeah. and she wants to mate as well. So we would she's, think. She's got, got new babies and also mates in this time in April, but also, you know, sometimes, so I know, you know, we have multiple males overlapping in these territories. Mm -hmm. I mean, we didn't have every animal radio collar, but right. GPS collar. We would see their multiple males. We see other animals on camera traps. And so, you know, she's probably got some choice as well. There's going to be different yeah. males that want to, that want to mate with her. And, um, you know, we're often finding that, that female animals have some choice, have some say in the matter. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, I mean, what happened there? I don't know. Maybe, you know, he found a female that he liked and she didn't like him. And, or maybe she had kits. I mean, she, she probably kids. had, you know, month-old kits by then. She could have defended them. Yeah. I don't know. But, um, you know, Leroy learned no the hard way. No, no the hard way. But his, his, his legacy lives on, right? So oh, yeah. Is at the New York yeah. State Museum. Um, skull and skeleton, tissue sample frozen in the freezer so people yeah. can use it for DNA. People can go visit, you know, scientists can go visit um, measure Leroy or whatever, you know, what, what was going on with Fishers in 2000, what was it, 2009? Is that what he died? Nine, ten. And then, but then also his data. So talk a little bit about, you've got this awesome tracking data set that you wrote up for your PhD, you've written some papers on it, but um, you were sort of saying Leroy might also be the world's most famous Fisher. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I had the pleasure of working on a bunch of like really bright computational ecologists and, you know, with things like, you know, movebank.org where we can just, you know, publish or post our movement data and then make them publicly available, which you and I are pretty big proponents of, yeah. 
we do, we do this, we put the data on there, say have at it, you know, explore it, do whatever you want with it, um, do cool things with it. But um, Leroy's data being some of the first, you know, cool stuff and, and some of the collaborators that we had, we started just handing out the data to whoever wanted it. And luckily for us, some of the people who wanted it were these really clever, you know, <laughs> yeah. computational folks who then built, you know, things like, uh, movement and space use models with it and and when they're doing this and they're publishing their papers they need like a case study an example so Leroy's data just started like you know popping around and I've gone to conferences and workshops and sit in an audience and, and think oh that data looks very familiar <laughs> and uh, sometimes he's referred to as a Martin but you know oh, that's fine it's pretty it's, close yeah. <laughs> some of these yeah. computer scientists <laughs> Don't pay that much attention to the species name or the species yeah. biology. I've seen that. I've seen that before too. But, but it is you know I think it shows that like that study that, that that you did was like the right technology, the right time, the right place. Like super interesting how humans and animals are interacting in the suburban ecosystem with a resolution that no one had ever seen before with a species that no one had ever seen in suburbia before. Yeah. Um, and uh, so that's really cool that, that um, Leroy lives on in MoveBank. He lives on in Movement Data. He lives on at the, the, the New York State Museum. And now... Always and dear to my heart. Now in the Wild Animals <laughs> Podcast. There you go. So thanks so much for coming and uh, sharing the story of Leroy, the fisher who learned no means no the hard way. Wild Animals is a production of the North Carolina Museum of Natural Sciences and North Carolina State University with production help from Aben Crawford.